Hello, welcome back. I'm Peter Ayers. It's going to be another stellar year of stages and I look forward to bringing it all to you. A range of guests from on stage and off and all with vibrant stories, fascinating insight and loads of fun. You might notice also that there's been a few minor changes to stages as we've overhauled some of it during the break. A new show card or branding will alert you to the show and we now have a website. Go to www.stagespodcast.com.au for access to our archive of guests and as another way to access the episodes. I'd really love it if you'd check it out. My grateful thanks to Stephen Grace for his outstanding work on conceiving and designing the, uh, the project and joining me in the evolution of the new design and website. Thanks, Stephen. Don't forget that you can still contact the podcast at stagespodcastpete at gmail.com or through the Facebook and Instagram pages. We're we're certainly building up a a great following now, so it's lovely to have you uh, all there following us on Facebook or Instagram. It's always a treat to hear from you and your enjoyment of the show and even things you don't like. Always keen to hear any suggestions you may have or you might like to some uh, you might like to suggest some future guests always up for that too and don't forget to rate and review the podcast in the iTunes directory it helps to get stages seen by a wider audience tell your friends too the more the merrier we can have listening to stages and these great stories from people on and off the stage all right enough of the housekeeping i'm very excited by our first guest as you will be he was a joy to talk to, a lovely bloke, and a giant in the world of show business. So now, let's get on with the show. Everything has its season, everything has its time. Show me a reason and I'll soon show you a rhyme. Cats fit on the windowsill, children fit in the snow. Why do I feel I don't fit in anywhere I go? Rivers belong where they can ramble. Eagles belong where they can fly. I got to be where my spirit can run free. unmistakable voice of Australia's own Barry Crocker. The boy from Geelong who conquered the various platforms of stage, film, television and recording, reaping great success all around the world. Barry is our first guest on Stages for 2021, being featured in a very special two-episode conversation. We celebrate a dynamic career that takes him from humble beginnings to the glamour and accolade of the world stage. Barry, or Baz as he refers to himself, is a fine raconteur and he was very generous in detailing his pursuit of a dream. In this first episode he describes finding his way into amateur musical theatre in his hometown of Geelong. An apprenticeship of sorts touring in a variety show, followed by a determined quest to make it as a solo performer in clubs around Melbourne. Barry is now 85, and though he stops singing, his speaking voice is soothingly resonant and his humour sharp. Get ready for some great nostalgia and an insight to an industry now sadly past. Here's my chat with the remarkable Barry Crocker. 
One, two, three. One, two, three. Testing. You sound great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Barry Hugh Crocker, you were you featured prominently in my childhood as a face on TV and a voice on recordings. My, my uh, parents were a great fan of yours, so I have to say it's an absolute good taste. <laughs> <laughs> it's an absolute treat to uh, to sit down and have this conversation with you on stages. Thank you, Pete. Yeah. Um, have you fared over the past year? This this over uh, the past year? Yeah, twenty twenty. No, twenty twenty. Oh, the, the time of COVID. Oh, that's, is, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's stopped everybody. So I just joined the crew and uh, went along and did the best I could. You know, that's all all we can do, really. You just you know, do the right precautions. And did you I'm very very strict on wearing my mask and all that sort of stuff? You know. I think we have to be, don't we, in the current yeah. times? Did you ever think that you would live to see a an occasion like this, a pandemic? I mean, they say they come along once in a hundred years. Yeah, not really. I, I didn't. Uh, you know, I'm sort of, I was a child when the Second World War was on, but I, right. that didn't really register with me all that much because, you know, I, I was five to, you know, to ten sort of thing, you know, so you, when you're a kid, you know, you don't realise that there are dramas going on around you. No, no, no. But at all. yeah, I certainly was aware of this drama. But even with uh, times of depression and world war, you know, entertainment flourished because people wanted an escape. Yeah. They? But, but the yeah. <laughs> COVID seems to have even stopped cinema attendance, theatre attendance. Well, yeah. I mean, that was to be expected, crowds and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, we just find a different way of getting to, to entertain these days with Zoom and all the things with the techniques and technical abilities. You, you can find a way around it. We're lucky with technology, aren't we? The yeah. Social media, in a sense, at this at this particular point of time, yeah. When we're locked down and trapped at home, we can still uh, communicate with our loved ones and yep. our fans, or, or yeah, watch the telly, see what's happening in yeah. other parts of the world. And so it's not so tedious after yeah. all. <laughs> um, music's been a staple of your career, of course. Yeah. Do you have a particular genre of music that you like listening to? Well, I basically like everything except. Uh, yeah, rap and some of the modern sort of things. That the lyrics are a bit hard to catch. The lyrics are hard to catch, and uh, and, and if, if you, even if you can catch them, they don't make any sense. Well, that's right. I mean, the great American songbook, etc. You know, dear Cole Porter, your Gershwin. Well, they were the lyrics were extraordinary. Were brilliant, you know, and uh, they touched feelings of the day, and and they had beautiful melodies, and uh, you know, they told a story. Each song, more or less, told a little. Capsulized story of the little, song, little of, three, of the, a three-act yeah, what, play. Yeah, what yeah. they were, what they were trying to say, and they did it beautifully. Of course, did you have a, a favourite composer or composing team whose music you like to sing? Not really. No. I just if they were if they were a good song, I, w- I would love them immediately. Uh, going through and looking at the, your enormous catalogue on iTunes, etc., mm. I noticed that there's a lot of Anthony Newley stuff. Yeah, well, that that is true. I was a huge fan of Anthony Newley because he wrote songs. Uh, with Brickhouse and uh, that were not that easy to sing yeah. and so that was a challenge for me and they were beautiful, the lyrics were fabulous and uh, eventually I would get to meet Anthony Newley and be, be, become good friends with him so that was nice, you know, to have that sort of connection after all those years Yeah, after singing his, uh, his uh, words yeah. yeah, yeah, a nice bloke Yeah, he was, uh, he was very nice, uh, yeah, and very accommodating you know, um, Sort of the, my first meeting with him was when I was in living in London in the seventies, and uh, I went along. I, although I was very busy with 
different clubs and television and stuff like that. They were auditioning for his new musical. Uh, and I, I thought, well, I'll just, just for fun, I'll go along and, uh, and see what happens, you know, just, just as a, something to do. And so I went along to the auditions, and by the time came to come, yeah, this is Barry Crocker, you know, from Australia, uh, and he's going to sing The Impossible Dream, which I did with a piano. And uh, at the end of the audition, it was uh, quiet, you know, then I heard footsteps coming down the aisle, you know, in the dark. And uh, it was Newley. He came up and he said, Hey, he said, have you ever played Don Quixote? And I said, No. He said, You should. He said, You'd be marvelous. And so that, from that point, uh, we became friends. And when the, the show eventually opened, uh, at, at uh, the, what, the name of the theatre, Prince Edward, I think it was, uh, we went along to see it the opening night. And uh, after the show, uh, I thought, well, I'll see if he remembers me, you know. And uh, so, because they, they offered me the part, and the money was ridiculous. Right. What was the show? Was it um, um, the, the good old bad old days, or um... I think it might have been the good old bad old days. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, it was the last one that he wrote, right. anyway. Um, but he remembered me and uh, invited me into the dressing room, and my wife was with me at the time, and. Uh, so we we shattered. No, we finished up just being the two, of, the three of us sitting there in his dressing room. We must have been there for forty-five minutes, just chatting and you know saying what, what I liked and uh, what I would love to have been in it and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and uh, I remember my wife, she made a wonderful comment. She said, "I thought you were the best in the show," you know. And he said, "Well, if you're going to write yourself a show, write yourself a show," you know. Yeah. yeah. And that, but. So then we became friends, uh, off and on. I'd, I'd see him and he'd see me. And, uh, and one night I was watching The Tonight Show. I was living in New York at the time. And he came on and he sang The, he sang the Man Who Makes You Laugh. And I just loved that song. So the lyric was fantastic. You know, it was all about our business. And I had his phone number and I called him right after the show had gone to air. And of course, I woke them up. He and oh, Dareth, the, his the, wife. The time difference. Yeah. yeah. No, no. The, yeah, no. I think they were in LA or something. Oh, I'm right. not sure okay. where, where yeah. they were, but you know, it was in America. And um, I said, "It was Dareth, his wife." I said, "Hello." And I said, "Oh, I'm terrorist. Did I wake you up?" She said, "Yes." I said, "Oh." I said, "She said, who is it?" I said, "Barry Crocker." You know. Oh, hello, Barry. Uh, I'll, I'll, Tony want, would want to speak to you. You know. So I said to him. When he came on the phone, I'm terribly sorry, mate. To, to, I, did, I thought you'd be up watching the show, you know. And he said, no, no, I, I've done it, and that's all I need to know. I said, the song is fantastic. I love that song. Is there any chance somehow I could get a copy of it? You know, I'd love to be able to do it in my show. And he said, uh, where, are, I'll, I'll, where are you? And I said, I'm in New York. And, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm going back to Australia Tomorrow, I said, you know, I've just it's just caught you on the edge of leaving, and he said, well, give me your address, and, he, and I gave him the address. He said, I'll send it to you, and I thought, thank you, thank you very much, Tony. And uh, I went away thinking I'll never see that again, you know. But a, about a week to ten days later, a letter arrived to my address, and not only did he have a piano and a, 
he, he was singing it solo, but also a sheet music of it, written, handwritten. And I thought, now that is that's a true that's a true friend, a true a true star too. True star, to be so generous. True yeah. star. And of course, after that, I would see him occasionally, and up until his uh, demise, which is far too early as yeah. far as I was concerned, because yeah. he always, you know, he was a, a great interpreter of his work and, mm. and other people's work as well. And uh, I'd sort of been inspired by him, so it was a. It's an extraordinary talent. I mean, it wasn't the best of voices, but it was a. He was a, an actor, and yes, well, you know, he, act, he acted the song. You, know. you see clips like um, "Who Can I Turn To" yes. on, on YouTube or whatever, yeah. and it's just extraordinary, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, some people didn't actually get what he was trying to do. Um, quite often, they would say, oh, "I don't know," because they, they were quite used to David Bowie or whoever, you know, sort of just singing out there with lots of lights and everything. But what Newley did, he would interpret the song and. I'd learnt in Los Angeles when I was doing a, a course there with Lee Strasberg and his sister used to do a, a course with the singing, you know, the same sort of using the same sort of uh, method. And uh, what she would do is break the song down into eight bars and say, "What are you thinking here? What are you doing? What are you? What are your movements?" And I think that's what Newley did. He would tell the story, and if you if you listen to him, listen to the lyrics, you'd, you'd get it. But some people didn't, and you know he was never—he never packed out audiences or anything like that. But people in the business who understood music appreciated him very much. What kind of fool am I? What do? Why can't I cast away the mask of play and live my life? What kind of fool am I who never fell in love? It seems that I'm the only one that I have been thinking of. What kind of man is this? An empty shell, a lonely cell in which an empty heart must dwell. Kind of lips are these that lied with every kiss, that whispered empty words of love, that left me alone like this. Why can I fall in love like any other man? What do I know of life? Why can't I cast away the mask of play and live my life? Why can't I fall in love till I don't give a damn? 
You made your acting debut in 1969, I believe, in an episode of Skippy. So uh, it was actually 1967. 67, yeah, was it? Okay. way going way back, and uh, yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's that's about 53, 54 years. But your career as a as a vocalist had started a bit before that. Yes. So how yeah. many years in the business have you had? Well, in in the business, yeah. Well, you know, I I started in 1956, right, uh, with a show called Variety on Parade. But before that, I'd been in the amateurs, you know, the amateur theatre companies, the Geelong Musical Comedy Society. Yes, you were born in Geelong, so... Born in Geelong, yeah. Um, and I think, was Bill Newman from Geelong? The Newmans, of course. The Newmans, it, it yes, was, yes. It, it was Johnny Newman, right. who, Bill, Bill's brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and who, Johns. Who, yeah, who got me into show business. Oh, really? Uh, professionally. Yeah. Because in Geelong, you know, there was no inkling in my mind of uh, having any sort of career in a show business or singing or anything like that and uh, one day I was about 16 and riding around uh, Geelong with my mate and uh, we came uh, came down to the eastern beach and all of a sudden there were a group of three girls there and naturally being 16 and we stopped our bikes and uh, started chatting with them and I fell madly in love immediately with this girl you know that uh, was fascinated. She was from England, and I was fascinated by her accent and and just the way she looked. She was gorgeous, and uh, I said, "How how can I?" So I took down a couple of mentally took down a couple of notes, and uh, uh, then eventually I sort of found out that she belonged to something called the Geelong Musical Comedy Society, and I said, "Well, I don't know what that is, but I'll join," you know, so I can be where she is you know so you didn't have any aspirations to be a performer no no I, well I, I you know I, I knew that I had a bit of a voice yep. because uh, as a paper seller around Geelong when I was a, selling papers and, and uh, so I sold papers and said there was a voice there and, uh, and I'd been on uh, Happy Hammond's uh, Peter's Pell show on 3GL and I if you if you could sing a bit you know uh, they'd give you a Dixie cup of ice cream and uh, if you if you could sing really well, or what they called a, 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 an a soprano boy, uh, they put you in the front row for all the sing-alongs, Daisy Dotes and Mosey Dotes and Little Lambs and Ivy, you know those sort of songs. Yeah. And uh, it was a very popular show. But sing for uh, your ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, like you, if you if you get to be in the front row, you get two. Right. You say so. I I that was my my plan is to sing good enough to get two, which I did. So I'd, I'd, I'd already, I, there was a voice there, you know. And uh, so anyway, what, I went to join the Geelong Musical Comedy Company and uh, found out that was, they were rehearsing in a church hall. 
And I went down there and I, I knocked on the door, had no idea what I was doing, with my mate, <coughs> Ronnie Brockenshire, his name was. And uh, this old lady, oh, she was old to me then, she, she was probably 60 or something, but she seemed old. And she said, yes, can I help you? I said, I'd like to join. She said, oh, well, come in. And she was there and uh, she had a little pad and paper and uh, what's your name? We gave her the names, our names. and. Uh, she said, can you sing? I said, I don't know. You know, um, well, let's try something. I said, all right. Um, what, what do you, the only things I knew were things off the, the hip parade, you know, that, that I'd been listening to on the radio. Uh, so she didn't know any of those, of course. You know, she said, do you know anything from the Chocolate Soldier? And I said, what? <laughs> What's a Chocolate Soldier? And she said, oh, for God's sake. She started to get a little annoyed. You know, Can you sing God Save the King? That's how long ago it was. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And so I sang God Save the King. And she said, yes, well, you could be in the chorus. I said, what's the chorus? <laughs> well, you're I totally no green. Idea. No idea. Yeah. And uh, so Ronnie had a go. He was absolutely tone deaf. He was the only person I ever knew who could play. He could play a bit of piano. He could play a piano and, and sing in a totally different key to what he was playing in, you know. So they said, well, you can be a stagehand. And he was quite happy to be a stagehand. I said, well, no, we just, and we wandered into the room and that's where it started, you know. And, uh, in The Chocolate Soldier? Not in The Chocolate Soldier. No? But no, it was, uh, I, what was the first? I think it was No, No, Nanette, I think. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah I think it was No, No, Nanette when we all had to the chorus boys say, no, no, Nanette, that's all she said. And it was, you know, with the do little actions, they taught us how to move and all that sort of stuff. And, there, you know, I was with a lot of peers, you know, who had come along, uh, you know, to just to be part of something that was a, some kind of club. And, of course, uh, Doreen was there, Dean. And I was absolutely chuffed, you know. I was, yeah, that's great, you know. So, so rehearsals every Tuesday and and Friday or something like that at night after work, and so I'd go up there and uh, and slowly, slowly, you know, I'd, uh, I'd I'd be learning about show business. It's and, a terrific ground in community theatre, isn't it? Just oh to, yeah. To, to learn about terminology. And, yeah. Um, I guess you had periods where you worked side stage, did you, or backstage, or paint sets? Or, yep, yep, yeah. yeah. You did all that. And you learnt as we were going along, and you know, um, it's it, it's it's sort of I learnt very quickly, you know, I, you know, because I wanted to, because mm. it suddenly struck me when I was doing this, this this is pretty good, I like this, because at the time, you know, I was probably working on the wharves as a labourer, you know, doing something like that, and uh, so I learnt quickly, and then that they would have it every Sunday night. Uh, there would be a little palm coffee lounge gathering where people from the shows would, would get together, you know, like a little or get together, you know, and, and, and we'd have coffee and and buns or whatever, <laughs> sandwiches and things like that, and just chat amongst ourselves. And there'd always come a time when uh, they'd say, well, let's see what we can do. Let's have a little concert here now, you know. Little open mic, little 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 open mic, and so people would get up. Some people would recite something. Other people would do a scene from something or other. Someone would sing a funny song, and they said, "Come on, Barry, what are you going to do?" And I, the, the only thing I knew that I'd been doing, you know, just unconsciously really, was copying 
people on the radio. So, you know, I could, I could do a passable Bing Crosby. <laughs> so you're not a bad mimic. Yeah, a, a mimic. I was yeah. a mimic. So I put together this little, little routine with different singers, singing I'm in the mood for love, which is a song, and, you know, and I would do Nat King Cole and uh, uh, who else did I do? Bing well, Crosby. Billy Eckstein. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the vocalist of the day. Yeah, the vocalist of the day. I think Johnny Ray had just come out, so I did I had a pretty good Johnny Ray going. And so I put it in, into this little routine. And, uh, you know, I'd do it, and I'd hone it at home, you know, practice it. Ask my sister, how does that sound? She said, it's good, you know, she'd say. My younger sister, Laurel. And uh, so I'd hone it into until it became quite a nice little routine, in a sense. You know, it was my party piece, because different people would come along each week. So I could test it out, and uh, a couple of people said, "You know, you should you should go on the talent quest in Melbourne." So, what, yeah, said yeah, you know, three UZ, three KZ, they hold talent quests, and you could go on there and you could do your impression routine, and you know, you you, you can win money. I said, "Money, you know, ooh, kitchen, kitchen, that's good." So anyway, I, I applied. I <laughs> through the radio station to be on, and so my dad drove me up the road from Geelong to Melbourne it was, it was a, only a single highway in those days right. and uh, so I sang you know and I did my little routine and I, I came second and I think I got 12 and 6 and an order on Christie's radio auditions or something like that you see and uh, then I, I got a, 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 a telegram so that, that, that's this is the way the wheels of, 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 of show business work from the opposition channel. They said that we're holding our best of the week talent quests and we'd like to have you do uh, your impression routine on our show. Uh, and we'll, we're prepared to give you three guineas. <laughs> three guineas. And uh, so I agreed to do that and I went on and that was the start of going on the various talent quests and then finding out where talent quests were and going on them and, you know, so that's how... The, and. and doing the musical comedy and slowly you know it's uh, evolved into a, a sort of semi-professional career in as much as I would team up with another guy called Ernie Bourne out from England and we'd do little comedy routines and we'd be hired out for parties around Geelong and we'd get something like 15 shillings or a pound sometimes to do something stupid like pretend that we that I was a, a, a lunatic and I'd run through, through the house party and out the back door, and he'd come and dress as a doctor. He said, we've, we've got an escapee from this, the Hussein and Salah. Has anyone seen him? You know? and, 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 and then and they'd say, yes, he's went that way. And he'd run out, and, of course, later on we'd collect the money, but we'd do our little piece, or sometimes we'd do a little comedy routine and sing a song, and we'd get some money for that. So, so you're, was, bu you're building a following, you're building an audience. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. So, so Ernie, <laughs> Getting a reputation. A reputation. Yeah. Um, Ernie was residing in Geelong as well, wasn't yes. he, at that time? Yeah. Oh, and he know. went on to have a career as an actor and Absolutely. many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, basically, uh, it, it came down to when I became a professional. Uh, at the time, after trying myself with lots of jobs, I also, in the meantime, had, uh, at the insistence of my mother, had uh, become a, 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 a sign writer, ticket writer. And I'd been to Swinburne College in Geelong and learnt, you know, th through then. Then I somehow I found myself 
probably through connections, being employed by Myers in Melbourne to become one of their junior ticket riders. You know, so I. So cautious parents who urge you to get something to fall back on, I guess, because yes. you're going into show Oh, oh no, no, my my mother was hated show business. I mean, she thought it was absolutely silly. Right. You know, abs- silly. It's stupid. You know, you know, you'll never. You won't make anything out of that. No, no, nothing yeah. out of that. Um, and so I I went to to, to Myers and. Uh, always conscious of making a buck and I'd, I'd come home on the train every night I'd go back in the morning you know which is pretty tedious I, well, I didn't when you're that young you don't doesn't make it doesn't make an impact on you you know and uh, so I learned that and uh, I became quite proficient at it and I, I found that I was better than my contemporaries who were you know three or four kids learning how to write and so when I, I felt uh, fairly proficient I'd I, on the way home, to, or on the way to the train, I'd look in shop windows, and if the, their, their tickets had been done Poorly. by the owners, r- right. quite roughly, you know, I'd walk in. I said, "You know, I'm a ticket writer. Would you like some professional tickets for your window?" And they'd say, "Well, how much do you charge?" I said, oh. and I sort of "Picked a figure out of the air." I said, "I'll do ten of them for uh, uh, oh, two, a pound, you know." Or <laughs> They say, all right, so I'd do, go home and, and, and bought some cardboard, have it all ready and cut it up into the ticket size and, and do proper little tickets. So I had that to fall back on, but uh, I wasn't making all that much money with it, you know, because around Geelong, you know, the, I wouldn't be surprised if some of my signs are still up somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, but I was, you know, flying by the seat of my pants in a sense. And I was always on the... Because I knew that uh, to make a buck, I had to improve. Because my dad had been working for the Ford Motor Company for well, he, eventually thirty-three years, and he, you know, he he'd had a hard life there. You know, he rode to work on his bike every day, and we were working-class people. And he wasn't making all that much, but he was lucky to get the work because it was the depressions and all through those times. And we, because I was always oblivious of that, you don't think about it when you're a young you're person. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I first of all, I, I sort of, one of my mates said, you know, get your job in the tile making factory, and you can, you know, make eight quid a week. Uh, and I said, yeah, what, what have I got to do? You just got to shovel cement and make cement for the tilers who make the tiles. And yeah. so I went down and got that job. And, uh, but that's hard yakker too, isn't it? It is hard yakker. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the, the first thing I went, I went in, and the foreman said, "Are you a strong kid?" And I said, "I don't know." Uh, you know, so I have no idea for these sort of questions. Well, you, you were because you're a tall man. You were obviously yeah. a tall kid as well. Yeah. How no, tall I, are you? Well, I, I I was six or three, but I think I'm, I'm six foot one now. I think I've shrunk <laughs> shrunk a little bit. But the first thing he did to me was, he said, "Are you strong?" And he had a bag of cement. And he just said, I, I, you know, I said, yeah, I think so, you know. So he just threw the bag of cement at me, and I had to catch it. He said, yeah, you'll do, okay. That was your audition? That was my audition for the making <laughs> the, the cement. And that was a, a really tough job, you know. I, you know, I had to keep mixing the cement by hand, you know. Uh, in those days, there was a big sort of flat piece of, uh, I think it was some sort of... Uh, plywood or something like that and you'd you'd get the sand and you put the sand in and there'd be one cement to three sands or something and you'd have the little hose running and you'd mix it have my hand slowly and mix it into this cement you see and uh, 
of course, all the tilers, if you got behind them, you say, Let's go. more mud, we want more mud. Yes. No, they call it mud. You had, so get, they, you had to get the uh, recipe right. Uh, you had to get the recipe uh, right. recipe right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it couldn't be too soft because it wouldn't hang, and uh, it couldn't be too dry because it wouldn't, they couldn't mould it, you know. Everything done by hand. And so that was tough because they, you know, they, and they, they sent me up a lot, you know, the, the new kid. And so I got, and if I was behind with the, the making of the cement, they'd throw bits of cement at me, you know, and stuff, you know, like, hey, come on, come on, Lofty. They call me Lofty. Come on, Lofty. Ah, throw the cement, you know. So eventually I had to leave because uh, there was a bit of bullying that went on. Yeah, which, uh, yeah. And, uh, and you had dreams in showbiz by now, didn't you? Well, yeah. Well, I was still doing, going to the... Were you having singing lessons or anything like that? Well, I, I won some singing lessons uh, with the musical comedy. Um, and uh, so I, when I started letting my voice be heard and everything, uh, they had little scholarships. And so once a week, I went to the musical director of the show and uh, we'd he'd sit down at the piano, take me through scales and stuff like that, and how to strengthen the voice. And I also had Dulcie Meekin, who was a wonderful voice coach, and uh, she would try and cultivate a decent accent because you know I I was just a knockabout kid, you know, and I was yeah, yeah, just like anyone else. You know, I can't, I don't even, I don't know what right. I'm saying. Your top lip didn't move. Yeah, yeah, yeah like that, you know, just keep the flies out. And she said, you know, I can't understand you, Betty, you know. And it, it sounds stupid, but she said, how now, brown cow? I want you to say, how now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? No, how now? And we went through these lessons. She was marvellous. She put up with me. And uh, when I received my first role, uh, Tristan Le Hermit, I think it was, in The Vagabond King, because uh, I was with them for three years, and so I slowly came through the chorus... Become a principal. To, to, to become, you know, a small part so Tristan Le Hermit was uh, my role, and uh, Dulcie would sit, sit at the when we came to the to the final rehearsals in the theatre. You know, uh, she would sit at the back, and uh, and I hear her voice. I can't hear you, Barry. Can't understand you, Barry. And they said, then I knew I had to sort of project and round my words, and you know, and so it's it's, it's amazing, you know. Because, but I wanted to learn, so I did. Be my love, no one else can end this yearning, this need that you and you alone create. Just fill my arms the way you fill my dreams, the dreams that you inspire with every sweet desire. Be my love and with your kisses set me burning One kiss is all I need to seal my fate And hand in hand we'll find love's promised land There'll be no one but you for me Eternally if you
hand in hand We'll find love's promised land There'll be no one but you for me Eternally If you Getting back to the Newmans, another great family of Geelong family in show business. Well, John's just released a book as well. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I ordered a copy and it arrived recently, so I look forward to reading that. Because Bill was end up in Sound of Music, my TV show down the back. And down, uh, played down, the lead down, in the pyjama game, didn't he? Obviously, uh, yeah, Tony LeMond, yeah. But um, getting back to my association with John... I had all all these various jobs, you know. I'd go from one job to the other, and I'd either leave or get sacked, you know, because of uh, different things that would happen. Uh, but <laughs> so I, I finished up working on the wharf because that was they were paying the most money. I, I was earning more than my dad at the Ford Motor Company, but I was what they called a back man in the in the when you throw around the bales. And uh, they said, oh, no, Lofty, the Lofty went with me, you know. Oh, no, Lofty, you've got a very important job, mate. And I said, what, what's that? And they said, you're going to be at the back of the bale. And so when we lift it, two men either side, you at the back, you're going to throw it up so it, it lands on, you know, correctly on the pile. I said, oh, yeah, he said, yeah. So I learned to be the Batman. What I realised after a few goes is that if, if the bale got loose it would fall on me. <laughs> so I was conned again but you know I I worked it and it was good money and uh, you know, there were lots of times when you when the, the, the wool wasn't there you'd just sort of sit around or go to sleep on the bales you know so it was a, a bit of a cushy job in the sense. Uh, so one day I was uh, having a bit of friendly wrestle with one of my co-workers who's a bit older than me and uh, it, uh, it, uh, it got a bit willing uh, and, uh, and so th- before this of course I had, <laughs> I had uh, auditioned for different things I'm trying to get this uh, in the correct order uh, so there was a, something that was in the Geelong paper about auditioning people for a travelling show you know and I'd gone along to this audition and I'd auditioned and there's a guy called Uncle Percy he was John Newman's uncle and he was working on the wharf and he'd seen me maybe he, he, he was the one that encouraged me to do the audition uh, and uh, so I went to the audition and did the audition and thought not too much about it uh, and then I found out that through Uncle Percy that, that John Newman who was in this travelling show called Variety on Parade uh, was coming into town and he was he, he was looking for someone to, to take his place because he'd been offered to be have a small part in South Pacific that was coming to Her Majesty's Theatre. JCW's, I guess. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, so Uncle Percy arranged for me to to do this audition uh, at at the house at the at the family house. And I've never been in a house that posh before. It was a lovely house right on the water, and uh, so I went up, and there was John, you know, and. Uh, he welcomed me in there, and he said, "He said, what do you do?" And I told him what I did, and I said, "Do a few impressions." He said, "Well, let's 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 see what you, let's see what you can do." So I I did my impressions and sang a couple of songs. I remember "Honey Bun" was one of them. Ah, hundred and one pounds of fun, that's my little honey bun. And uh, <laughs> so I did all this, and he was quite amazed and said, "That's great, that's great, thank you, you, that's wonderful, you know." And so. I left, you know, I didn't think too much more about it. And then, uh, as I said, we'll get back to the, having a bit of a blue on the, on the wharf, you know. And uh, so I was suddenly summoned uh, to the manager's office, and I thought, I'm going to get the sack now, you know. So he said, no. He said, There's, uh, people want to uh, have an audition. I said, what, what audition? He said, you know, at the Geelong West Town Hall tonight, you're going to be there, they want to see you. You know, I said, yeah. He said, yeah. So, oh, uh, okay. So I, I immediately went to a friend of mine called Maury Blick, who was a sign writer who I'd made friends with, and he played the guitar. And so we, after work, after we finished work, we practiced, practiced, practiced. And we went along to the Geelong West Town Hall where Variety on Parade was playing that later that night, 8 o'clock. So I was there at 7 o'clock. And uh, so I, I noticed two gentlemen in suits were there, and I said, yeah, I said, I'm here, and you're Barry Crocker, yes. We believe you're, a, you're quite a talented chap. And he said, yeah, uh, yeah, thank you. And I, so I did my little audition, and there was no clapping or laughing or anything like that. So I thought, well, that, that, that went well, you know, just to myself. <laughs> and he said, thanks for coming. We've got to get ready now to prepare for the show. And I said, yeah, thank you. And what I'd found out, what I'd find out later on, that that John uh, had wanted to go into South Pacific, and they he had a contract with the Variety on Parade, and they said, John, unless you can find someone equal of equal talent, to, you can't. You, you, we need you for the show. You can't leave. Yep. So John had been searching for this replacement. He's me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, look, a, a, a couple of weeks went by. And uh, all of a sudden, I was called again to the manager's office or the head. head. He, was, he was the manager. And uh, he said, I've got a telegram for you. I said, what? what? A telegram? I said, yeah. And he said, I'd never had a telegram in my life, you know. And uh, so I opened it up and it said, can you join Variety on Parade on the something of February uh, 1956? Uh, your fee, your uh, salary will be twelve pounds a week, and keep and transport. Now, I said, I said, you put me on. You, it's a jo- who's, who's this a joke, isn't it? You know, he said, no, no, it's real. I said, oh, and I was, you know, gobsmacked, of course. And then, of course, I went home in in total shock. And then, of course, I had to discuss everything with my family. Because you're about, what, 20 are you at that age? Uh, or? Yeah. Yeah. I'd already been married, and I had a child. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Right. had Geraldine, my eldest daughter. So this, all this had happened. Was I'd, this the girl you followed into the yes, music? Yes, yeah. Okay. That was Dorian. And uh, 
So, you know, after many years of, uh, or many months, I don't, you, know, you can't remember exactly, but it seemed a long time, she finally uh, consented to, to becoming my bride, you know, and, and she consented, or we had to anyway. That was, was a bit like that, because when you're young-blooded and uh, carefree, you know, these things happen. So... I had to discuss it with the family, so my mother, of course, was dead against it. She said, this is ridiculous, stupid, Barry, you can't do that. You can't leave your wife and child. You just, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to pull up your straps and knuckle down to some proper work. And I said, Dad, what do you think? He said, well, he said, it's a big decision. He said, but he said, it's what you want to do. I said, yes, it's definitely what I want to do. I want to become a professional, you know, and going into the show will probably teach me how to do that. So then, of course, we said, well, your mother doesn't want you to do it. He said, I'm one way or the other. He said, I'm willing to go with you, but you've got to talk it over with Doreen, you know, Dean. And uh, so Dean and I sat down together and we had a long discussion about what, and she said, well, I'll move in with mum and dad, you know, my parents. And uh, do you really want to do it? I said, yeah, yes, I do. I really want to do it. She said, well, foolishly, perhaps, um, I'll do it. And so I was off. If I ruled the world, every day would be the first day of spring. Every heart would have a new song to sing And we'd sing of the joy every morning would bring If I rule the world Every man would be as free as a bird Every voice would be a voice to be heard Take my word, we would treasure each day that occurred My world would be a beautiful place Where we would weave such wonderful dreams My world would wear a smile on its face Like the man in the moon when the moon beams If I rule the world Every man would say the world was his friend There'd be happiness that no man could end No, my friend, not if I rule the world Sunshine in everyone's sky. If the day ever dawned when I rule the train from Geelong 
to Wodonga, Albury, Wodonga. And uh, I've got the date written down somewhere, but it was it's early February 1956 that I would join Variety on Parade, which was a, an eight-person sh- travelling show, or everything went in the bus. And mm. I guess, effectively, that was your training, wasn't it? Yeah. Vocally and dramatically. And yeah. The, the, how yeah. long were you with Variety on Parade? One year. One year. Because, you know, uh, as I said, I, I learned quickly, and I was, you know, I learned the hard way, too. I mean, the first night... What, what, what you, my, the first day, this is what I arrived uh, sometime late morning. And I think it was the Mechanics Institute Hall that the, the show was going to be in. The bus had arrived, and already there was hustle and bustle around the place, you know. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm Barry. Ah, you're lofty. Yeah, how am I? Yes, nice to see you. Right, he said, Well, he said, Roll your sleeves up, get to work. I said, what am I going to do? He said, unload the bus, help unload the bus. So then I was helped to unload the bus, all the things that went into the, to, to prepare for the show that night. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I found out that they, that things were on ropes and there were black curtains which had to be strung up around the, hall, around the stage. So it was a completely black stage with entrances for the side. And... Uh, then as it would do the lighting, so the, the lighting was uh, two, a kerosene tin cut in half with a, a giant globe inside it. Uh, you know, a, a, there's a name for that, that bulb. Uh, and uh, so then that, that would be hoisted up on strings to, 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 till it reached where they could light the whole stage. And uh, so the lighting was basically on and off. It could be on, but what could be off? So, so <laughs> that was. So I thought, well, this, this is yeah. Well, you know, here I am. Okay, now Lofty, uh, you got your own act to do. He said you're comparing the show. I said, what? What? You got you introduce all the acts, and I said, ah. Oh. Said yeah. Well, write it all down for you. What you got to say, you know, and and you're and you're doing three sketches with a comic. I said sketches. Yeah. He said it's all right. And John Broadway, who was the son of the people who owned the show, said, I'll help you, I'll help you, mate, you know. He says, easy, don't worry, you'll, you'll get it, you know, you'll get it. And uh, so in that day, that afternoon, travelling up from Geelong, I had to learn to compare, to be a compare. I had to do my act, with a, we only had a piano accompaniment, and, uh, and be the comics straight man. But not only that, I had to play the drums for the juggler. <laughs> and and I, I said, where? I said, I, I used to play the drums at school. I said, but, he said, well, it's easy. Can you do a drum roll? And I said, yeah. So I did a drum roll. He said, when you see me grab the, the, the whatever I'm juggling, you hit the cymbal, you know. Boom, tish. Yeah, boom, tish. And then for the next trick. So that was it. He said, when's that? And it was all, he gave me the list of the show and how it went and everything. And I'm panicking a little bit now. You know, can I get through this, you know? And in my, in my panic that night, or preparing backstage, you know, the audience would come in and, and uh, I'd forgotten my makeup, which was back at the hotel where we were staying. And I said to Ike Delavale, who was the comic, uh, I suppose he would have been around about late 50s, 60, 
but he seemed very old to me, you know. But he, but he was old style company, like he, it was like Mo, Mo McCacky, Roy Rean, Roy Rean. He was that style of comic. And uh, I said, "Oh, can, can I borrow your makeup?" He said, "No." He said, "Get your own." Oh, wow. <laughs> so that that made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so John had heard this, John Broadway, the young chap who was the, who was also the juggler and everything. Um, he said, "Hey, you can use mine. You can use mine. It's all right." Uh, okay. So anyway, I went on and I survived. You know, I, I got through it all because John said, "You know." In the comedy sketches, he'll more or less give you the the next line, you know, with what he's what he's saying. So I got through it, and slowly, uh, you know, and I did well, you know, with my little act uh, that I did because I used to do impressions of Danny Kaye and manic depressive pictures for his hands, hello for us, no goodbye, and all that sort of stuff, and uh, and sing my little songs and and something off the charts that I had to learn with the, the piano player. He was a young guy, and he was he was. He wasn't a great piano player, but he could read music and could follow you, you know, so that was okay. Uh, so then I, tra- I travelled there, and we went everywhere with the show, from the biggest town halls to the smallest of venues. I Did mean, you, do you ever play tents? Mm-hmm. Tents? Were you in tents at all? Or Not in a tent, no. no. And, uh, the tent, the, the Sawleys were the tent people. Right. They, they travel everywhere. Uh, but we did one night... Uh, Oh, that was the other thing, too, with the bus. You know, sometimes you had to take over from the driver on the long hauls, drive the bus, you know, <laughs> really piled on it. And, uh, but one, one, one time we, we went off the road and I was looking and I said, where are we going? He said, don't worry, we'll get there. So all of a sudden we're driving through paddocks, driving through paddocks. And after about 20 minutes of driving through what to me was just grass and paddocks. There was a hall, a little hall, little hall, right in the middle of all the paddocks. And I was amazed. I walked into this little place, and I said, "We're going to put up the lights. You want the?" Fl-? He said, no, "No lights here." He said, "We're using gaslight. They've got gaslight here, footlights, mm. gaslights." Mm. And I said, wow. I said, what about the curtains? Don't worry about the curtains. We'll use this, you know. We'll do this is easy. Just got to do There's no microphone. You just have to sing a bit louder or whatever. Like so here we were doing this little show. And it was quite amazing because we, 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 they bought sandwiches and everything and, and tea and coffee to be made. You know, the, they bought all, everything with us. And we had sort of like a makeshift dinner and uh, ready to do the show. It's the same show, uh, except by gaslight. <laughs> and and uh, it was really weird because sitting in the hall, I could see headlights coming from all different directions. There were people from all the different farms and stations and properties and towns that were close, driving across to this little place. And they all pulled up, and they were all there, and they all came into the hall, and we did the show. And it was quite amazing. It was quite magical in a sense, because yeah. uh, we'd been taken right back to how it must have been. Back to basics. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the show went very well. And then we got on the next day. We, I think we, I think we might have drove drove back that night. I think you know to the hotel where we were staying to yeah. to get there to that place. But that was that was about as primitive as it got. I think. Yeah, you know. uh, it but, sounds like a, a wonderful apprenticeship. 
Yeah, well, you know, I was learning quickly. Yeah, yeah. And so what would transpire over the time, when, when there was a bit of a, a lull, in the, if there was like a four-day gap between shows, it was pretty solid. And that was the other thing you had to do too. <laughs> I, I don't know how I lived through all this, but um, when, when you when you were travelling around, you'd be, you'd set up in a, a hall or whatever it was, institute or RSL or whatever whatever the venue was, and then if there was time after you'd set up, uh, the bus and the next place was fairly drivable, you know, uh, they would send me into there they'd put me in the bus and I'd drive the bus into this town then I'd go door knocking with tickets would you like to, to, to buy a ticket for the blind concert party it was, that was the thing that they hung it on the blind concert party and people say oh yeah, yes yes, I'll buy a ticket how much are they and I'd sell them whatever the ticket was I can't remember the exact price and uh, so then you'd, you'd sell as many as you could and you had to realise you had to get back so I'd get back time for the dinner and uh, you know but that was just another little side thing that you had to do and uh, so I did it and uh, so what happened is that I learned quite quickly and I kept I kept talking to the professionals in the show like there was Dina and Nikki were a sort of Risley act they did acrobats and balance they do all these incredible tricks that, that, that you know that I'd find out later the Ely they always called them the Ely of the trick you know there was always a little magic that would appear to the public you know amazing but to them it was a safety valve you know and so you'd learn about that and I'd talk to them and I said how do you, how do you think I'd go you know doing my show elsewhere and they'd say they'd say nice things to me well you know you're learning very quickly I'm sure that one day you'll be good and you know, it was like that but I took it as a, as a, as a positive you know and so I kept working and I kept, kept put, putting new things in and I remember I went to Ike, the comic. I said, I've got, the, I got all these jokes I do. He said, I said, would you help me uh, tell me which ones that would be good to do and, and, and the ones that wouldn't. How to construct a, a routine. No, not, not so much, just, just, just the jokes, you know, that I, you do your jokes. And uh, so he'd listen to the joke and he said, no, that's no good, that not, no. And then I'd do another joke. He said, that's not bad, just do that one, you know. And then he said, no, that's no good. And after doing it for a couple of nights and not getting any reaction to the jokes he told me to do, I went to him and I said, oh, I said, you, you've been lying to me. He said, what do you mean? He said, you've been telling me to do the wrong jokes. I know that those, I've got laughs with those other jokes. He said, you're learning, son. He said, never ask another comic what jokes to do. He said, yeah, that's a valuable so, lesson, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that was a lesson. but uh, Because so, it's a, a competitive industry, isn't it? Yeah, I of mean, course. There's it's, only it's, so, it's, so many gigs, but there's so many performers wanting yeah, to do it. Yeah, and it's the same today. You know, I mean, I, I, I worry about kids today trying to get into the business because I had the chance to go out there and be bad and, and learn, you know, learn without being judged because I... Anyway, getting back to my little story with the, with the Geelong... With the, sorry, with the Bright. Variety on Parade, the Blind Concert Show. You know, and, and, and it, was, it was quite funny because sometimes with the juggling and everything, you'd hear comments from the audience, gee, they're very good for blind people, aren't they? You know, they, people would believe that... Or the performers were blind. You know, that just something that 
you'd never get away with it no. now. But but anyway, so over the months and months, and I, I, I know a little part that I left out. When there was a little gap, I would travel back home to Geelong and be with the family for two or three days, and I'd travel back to wherever it was on the train, you know. Uh, so after the months doing all this stuff and uh, I, I was getting help from John Broadway and uh, he was t- telling me little things he said you know like I remember once I'd, I'd, I'd done my act and I introduced the soprano and uh, she sang a, a three songs or whatever it was and I'd come back and the, the applause rose up you see and I said oh yes Joan was, wasn't she wonderful I'm sure we have an encore from Joan you know and uh, so Joan would come out and sing another song and, and John would pull me aside and said, you silly bugger. He said, he said, that applause wasn't for Joan, it was for you. You came <laughs> back on and they were applauding you. Don't do that. You know, so that was another little lesson you learn. Well, you're learning about stagecraft, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. 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 And, and uh, so what would happen, sadly, is that you know, the, uh, my act was, would be the highlight of the show. It became... The thing that they talked about, you know, and 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 the word went to one, you know, there's this kid in the show. He's he's pretty good. He can do this. He can do that, you know. So because I was gaining a bit of reputation around the country towns and everything, and some you know some of the bigger towns, um, John decided to put the ads in the paper with me with top billing over the comic, Ike. Now, I d- didn't realise at the time, but that was a huge dagger in the heart of Ike Delaval because mm. he'd been always... For, he, he'd travelled with this show for years. Maybe top of the bill. He was always top of the bill, and all the others would come after him, you know. But, but John had decided to put my name at the top of the bill. And, of course, there were several days when Ike wouldn't speak to me, you know. And I couldn't really understand why, but... You know, then John would explain, well, you know, you, we put you, your name at the top because you're getting noticed. And dear Ike, and, and it was never quite the same with Ike because, uh, you know, he, he, he'd been hurt in that sense. And eventually, at the end of the year, I'd, I'd gained enough confidence to say, you know, I'm going to leave the show. And they said, no, we want you, you can do another year. It's going good. And I said, no, I've got to go to Melbourne and try the, I've got to swim in a bigger pond, you know. So it was like that. And I arranged an audition with J.C. Williamson. And I said, you know, if John Newman could get into South Pacific, maybe I could do the same thing. And they said, well, you'll have to get a pianist to come down for the audition. And I couldn't get it. I said, the, the, the pianist in our show was going on holidays to Tenterfield, where his family were. And uh, so I had a great dilemma. How am I going to get a piano player? And God bless him. Ike said, I'll play for you. He said, you will? He said, yeah. <clears throat> now, I could learn to play the piano by sitting at a pianola and watching where the keys went down, putting his fingers in it, so he learned all the popular songs of the day. So we worked out what he could play and what I could sing in the key, or, you know, whatever. So we worked out this little routine. And uh, so we went down, and uh, it was a 
stinking hot day, I remember it, or Jay Shaw Jimson's. And uh, we walked into the theatre and Ike was known and people were saying hello to him and all that sort of thing. But anyway, the, the guy who was auditioning me uh, said, all right, uh, nice to see you, Ike. You know, you got Barry Crocker. Yes. Okay, let's see what you can do, son, he said. You know, and so he sat down in the stalls. I went up on the stage and I did my little three songs and some little ad-lib impressions and stuff like that. This is at the Madge, I guess. Uh, Was it at Her Majesty's in Melbourne? Her Majesty's, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. Majesty's Theatre, you know, because uh, I'd seen Hayes Gordon, uh, you know, in, in Kiss, Kiss Me, Me Kate. Kate. Thank you, all right. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, he, he never dreaming that uh, one day we'd become good buddies and all that sort of thing. I remember I'd gone backstage to, and I remember seeing his bottom leaving the stage just with this part of his costume hanging down and I, I, I've used that for ages I said I saw Hayes Gordon leaving the stage you know with this costume happening and I, it was thrilling to me yes. and um, so we did our little <coughs> audition and uh, I said, it's a, it's a silence you know a, I said what do you think he said you're too tall I said what 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 how do you mean too tall he said well he said you've got good presence he said but you're too tall he said I can't put you into the chorus because you'd stand out you'd stand out and the leading man wouldn't like that because you'd be standing out and uh, I said well, what, what, where does my future lie and he said well son he said either you've got to become a star or nothing but thank you for coming and of course, that was my. How do you take that? Does, does that hurt you, or oh, do you yeah. think, or does that give you the sort well, of the, it, the it, push it, to it, sort it, of run? I left the theatre that day, and I had to walk home. And to St Kilda, we had a little flat there, you know. And uh, I walked home, sort of digesting all the things that had happened and things that had been said to me. And it was a mixture of both, you know. And when I got home, I, I, could, I couldn't speak because it was a blistering hot day. I can remember the tar bubbling on the, on the roads, you know. And, uh, and Dean said, how did you go? And I said, well, this is what happened. And said, she said, oh, well, you know, we'll see what happens next. We've got to keep trying, which I did. But that was my story, basically, with the... With the uh, Variety on Parade, the Blind Concert Party, the Broadways, and <laughs> Ike Delavale. Of course, later on, when I had my first television show, the Barry Crocker Show on Channel 10, 1966, uh, one of my guests, of course, was Ike, Ike Delavale. He was, uh, you know, I, I pulled him out of semi-retirement, I think, you know, and he looked exactly the same to me, and he had his little funny hat on, and... <laughs> And he did a little routine, and he, I could see the terror in his eyes. He was performing to cameras instead of an audience. Well, like the audience were there. Isn't he great? What a gentleman, and what a professional life. Of course, not without its moments of challenge and demonstrative of how tough a pursuit of a career in the entertainment industry can be. However, with resilience, perseverance, and a belief in your talent, you can achieve greatness and go a long way. Tune into part two when Barry takes us with him on his climb to the top of the business we call show and his determination to do the best work he can. I'm Peter Ayers. Catch you next time.
of the sky.